before we get to today's podcast, uh, I want to apologize first uh, if my voice has a bit of a nasal quality in spots as you listen to it. Uh, I've just been recovering from a head cold, uh, so the first uh, few spots in the podcast there, uh, you're going to hear some, just going to sound a little nasally. Sorry about that. Uh, We'll hope my voice improves uh, for the next episode. I'd also like to preface uh, this episode with a violent content warning. Uh, we're going to be discussing the kind of the cold, hard realities that uh, uh, some people very likely had to deal with in the Copper Age, uh, and sometimes that just involved violence. Uh, so if you're a parent listening um, and you have a, a child with an earshot, you may want to uh, uh, just take note of this uh, ahead of time. And, uh, you know, if you're under 14, you may or may not want to get permission from your guardian ahead of listening further. Uh, One last preamble before we get into the content here uh, is that I want to include a disclaimer uh, that I am not uh, a historian. I'm not an educator um, or any of those things. Um, I may very well get things wrong, uh, and I just want everyone to understand that you know, it's okay to be wrong. The intent of the show is not for this to be a substitute for really any education. Uh, the intent is really just to get you interested enough in this topic to maybe have you uh, do a little digging in your own and, and may or uh, uh, may not find this entertaining. That's really what this is about is just uh, we want it to be entertaining. Uh, we want to have uh, some context to reality in that. Uh, and then tie that back into the actual fiction. Uh, the topic of the first few series uh, of episodes here is Copper Age Anatolia and how that lines up with the written memories of the Emperor of Mankind in the Warhammer 40,000 universe. And uh, while we're going to start in the Copper Age, we're not going to start uh, in Anatolia. Uh, We're going to start tangentially to there, uh, and then we're going to work our way back. Now, this is my very first podcast ever. Its structures uh, largely decided in in a vacuum of me, Uh, and I'm going to rely on you, the listener, to help kind of guide the format and evolution of this podcast as it moves forward. Uh, Maybe uh, this episode is irrelevant, maybe it's out of place, maybe it's too long, uh, all that sort of stuff. Your feedback helps me understand that. For now at least, uh, the first few episodes, uh, the format's set. Um, it's, much of the content's actually already been produced by the time I'm recording this, um, and we're just taking the time to kind of find the right way to edit everything together in, in a neat and tidy bow kind of takes a lot of research um, and there's a a lot of material to cover and uh, some of it may just end up on the cutting room floor uh, just because it doesn't make sense in the context of the story I'm I'm trying to tell here. So your feedback helps me understand you know how the first few episodes go and then I'll kind of take all that and we'll uh, evolve that uh, into the next series uh, that we that we tackle. But we're going to kick this story off, uh, this series, uh, specifically with the story of a Copper Age shepherd who lived in the Italian Alps. 
And while you may be feeling uh, kind of a little teased or ripped off because I told you the topic is Copper Age Anatolia and Warhammer 40,000, uh, I promise you we're definitely going to get there. Uh, we're going to tie that back to the Copper Age Anatolia in a nice neat bow by the end of this episode. Uh, so please stick with me. I hope you enjoy the show uh, and uh, let's get to it. you to close your eyes for a moment and if you can imagine a place and time older than anything you can think of it's so old writing doesn't exist there's no internet there's no electricity there's no lights except what comes from the sky from the stars from the Sun from the moon, from the fire you can make with your bare hands. In this time, your clothes are made from the skins, furs, and leather of dead animals, and you've got to remake them constantly. In this time, Thread doesn't exist except as the dried sinew of the animals that you manage to domesticate and slaughter. And you reuse every single part of those animals. You use the meat for food, you smoke it, you dry it, maybe you cook it and eat it right away, but for most of it you dry it out because you need it to live through the winter. You grow grains, you grow wheat, you make woven grass covers for your clothes to help keep the wet out, to help keep the cold out. Your shoes, if you're lucky, there's a highly skilled cobbler in your village and I say cobbler because we think pretty much at this time it exists and I'll tell you why in a moment but your shoes are made out of multiple different types of animal fur and leather and skins maybe you've got uh, bare skin soles on your feet and softer deer skin or uh, goat hide for the tops of your shoes or boots you've got dried grass woven together as kind of your uh, what you would call prehistoric or primitive socks at this time you don't wear it but they're stuffed in your shoes your tools at this time are made out of bone you've got uh, in your tool pouch, a bone needle you use uh, for threading sinew for your leather clothes that you need to patch and make. You use that same bone needle to tattoo yourself 
with ash ink that you make from a fire. And speaking of tattoos, you've got a lot of them on yourself. You're an old man. You're in your 40s. You've got tattoos of several parallel lines, maybe little waves, dots, circles, X's, and they're all over your body. They're around your knees, they're around your ankles, they're around your elbows, they're all over your stomach, and it's there uh, not because it's decorative, maybe, but uh, I'm going to tell you why in, in a little while, but it's there because it's ancient magic, it's medicine. This is the cutting edge of medical technology, and, and you've got it all over your body. And the tools you use, aside from that needle, you've got other tools for sharpening arrows, for working with wood. You've got a stone knife. You've got a yew wood bow. You've got wooden arrows fleshed with feathers and tipped with stone arrowheads. And some of these are made. Some of them are in the process of being made. Some of them you've had for months, maybe even years, because it takes a lot of work to make an arrow. But that's not your job. You're not a hunter, although really everybody in this time is a jack-of-all-trades because you got to be, otherwise you're dead. No, what you are is a farmer. Uh, specifically, you're a goat herder. You've got uh, a herd of domesticated goats that's been in your village for generations. And where you live is in the uh, Alps of northern Italy. And I know this podcast is about uh, ancient Copper Age Anatolia. Uh, we're going to get to that in a moment. Uh, but it's not too far away. And the goats you've been raising for generations. You make cheese off of them. You can't really eat it, but other people in your village does. Now you use the fur for clothes. You use the sinew for thread. You use the bones for marrow and tools and the blood you use. It's sauce for your meat that you're going to eat at feast season. And if that sounds a little gross, uh, just take a look at haggis and blood sausage. That stuff didn't come out of nowhere. And in your life, in this village, you're doing the same job that your family's been doing for uh, forever. You take your goats and you go up into the Alps 
where there's some grass for them to feed on uh, and every day or two you move to a new pasture in the Alps and when you run out of food and you can't scavenge anymore up there you take the herd back down to your village you get some more uh, food and supplies and then you go back up there for uh, a few more weeks and then you come back down uh, and then you slaughter some of those goats uh, and that's what you do all year round. You've got uh, a farm that's being tended to and on that farm you grow grain. You've got some uh, wheat, maybe some barley. Grind it together and bread is made. And if you're really lucky, maybe you make some really weak beer because water's uh, not very trustworthy. And now that we know a little bit uh, about where you are and what you're doing and what you're wearing, let's go along a little bit more deeper into some of your tools uh, because they're going to play a big part in this story that we're about building here. I mentioned our bow and our arrows, most of which are partially made. I didn't get to our axe yet. We've got a special axe. And like I know, uh, mentioned, um, you know, we're a jack of all trades in this era. And we've got somebody in the village who specializes in uh, making fancy uh, boots and shoes for us. Uh, but I've got a special skill too. I know where to find copper. And it's uh, not hard to find in the mountains that I work in but it's there and it's cold but it's there and I can find it because my dad knew where it was and his dad knew where it was and this been a secret of this village uh, for as long as anybody can remember and in this copper we know how to make a forge that gets hot enough that lets us melt copper and it's not easy taking copper ore from the top of the Swiss Alps, Italian Alps, taking it down the hill, and then building a forge strong enough, airtight enough, and putting it with the right types of materials in order to separate copper ore from random rock. So the little bit of copper that we managed to get, that's pretty precious stuff. So we know those secrets and the people in our village, um, they, they get the, the luck of being one of those few people in the area uh, that we have some copper tools. And so I, I have a special axe. And when I talk about an axe, I, I don't want you to think about, um, you know, some uh, ancient fantasy axe you might see in uh, Conan the Barbarian movie or on a medieval battlefield or, or in a Dungeons and Dragons role-playing game. No, uh, this axe, if you want to visualize it, looks a lot like a walking cane that you might see an old person with today. 
you know, it, it's a straight shaft of wood. Uh, it's about two feet high, two feet long. And it's got a right angle at the top of it, you know, where somebody would hold the handle when they're leaning on a cane. It's that kind of um, shaped handle in terms of length uh, and uh, diameter. And at the tip of that is a piece of copper that I've had in my family's generation, family for generations. That piece of copper, that axe head, if you want to uh, take your index finger and middle finger and put it together, uh, that's about the thickness, the width of my axe head. And the length of the last two digits of your uh, index finger is probably about the length of this precious piece of copper axe head. So it's not very big, it's not very long, it's not very uh, fantasy dramatic, but it gets the job done. We can chop wood, we can sharpen it, it doesn't really break, it bends, but we can reform it back. It's hardenable and it lasts for generations. This is my axe. Not many people have it, but I've got that axe. Now my, my knife, that stone, we're still using lots of stone, stone for everything, but I'm one of the few people that has this little bit of copper that we managed to smelt down and forge and shape into uh, a little bitty bit of blade which we've buried into this tip of wood. It's glued there with some uh, uh, tar from a tree and then wrapped in leather sinew. That's what's holding our precious piece of copper into this axe head, axe shaft. So now that we've got our clothes, our tools, our 45-year-old arthritic man who's been treated with the very latest in modern medical tattoo technology, who's herding his goats that he's been doing for generations up into the mountains. Well, now he's coming back to the village to get some more supplies. And if you can imagine this man hobbling down into the village, leading his herd of goats, he can see as he gets closer, because his eyes aren't very good, being a 45-year-old man, that there's screams he can hear and dark smoke coming from his village. And so he runs down into the village. And it's chaos. There are marauders and raiders all over the place. His village is systematically being slaughtered when it's basically over by the time he's got there. What do you do? Well, you run into your home, wouldn't you? You've got to go see your wife and make sure she's safe. Or maybe it's your son or your brother, but for the purposes of this story, uh, let's say it's your wife. And when you get into your, your hut 
and you open the, that door and you see a strange man standing over your wife who's screaming, will you do what you would do, wouldn't you? You pull out your axe and your knife and you scream and you charge at him. And he turns around and he sees the axe and he blocks that. But he didn't see the knife, not in that split second, and you get him right between the ribs. And that's it. He drops dead. And you look down and there's your wife, bleeding, wounded, maybe worse. And, and there's no help. That's it. It's over. What do you do? Well, you grab your wife, you grab your bow, you grab your arrow, and your wife, who's wounded, too wounded to walk, you put her on your shoulder and you carry her. And as you're running away, hobbling away, carrying your wife on your shoulders, who's bleeding, well, the other people, the raiders, they're just everyday Joes. We don't know why they're there, but we can probably imagine, you know, I don't think people just go raiding for kicks. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't, but I like to think we're all human. We're not really evil people. We're people who do evil things. What do you do if your village had a bad harvest? There was a disease killed all the plants you had a, a bunch of locusts come down you had a fire that spread to the the wheat fields you had a pack of wolves get to your herd of animals well you've got a village to feed too you've got a wife and kids to look after you've got a son a father, a mother, what would you do? Would you just let everybody starve to death? Well, you would probably do whatever it would take, wouldn't you, to take care of your son, your daughter, your wife, your father. So you get together uh, a party, and that group, that's the strong and healthy of your village, it's your brother, it's your son, it's your father, it's your best friend. Maybe it's part of your lovers. Who knows, but they're probably uh, all good, close, related people. And you go to wherever you can, and you know there's a village somewhere up in the mountains. You know that because a long time ago, somebody traded for a piece of copper with them. So you go to this village. You may take you a day to get there. You take all the supplies you can because you don't know how long it's going to take. And maybe you're gone a day, two days, a week before you finally find that village. And they're not expecting it. There's no walls. It's as easy pickings for you. They weren't even prepared. They were sitting around having supper. 
You surprise them. It's easy pickings. There's no work at all, really. You've even managed to take a couple of slaves back to help work your farms and help lug all this uh, gear and food and supplies back to your village. Maybe you'll keep them alive. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll sell them to another village down the road. Uh, that's not really material at the moment. But you can imagine um, you're happy because even though uh, these people don't mean anything to you, the village, your life, they're going to live through the season. They're going to live through the winter. You get another chance. It's kill or be killed. And as you go around the village, just making sure everybody's got everything they can. We're all ready to go. You know, hey, let's do a roll call. Where's Jim? Oh, there, there's Jim's over there. Where's Tom? Tom's over there. Well, hey, has anybody anybody seen Derek? Ah, I haven't seen Derek. Have you seen Derek? No. No, a Der Derek, a Derek went over into that hut over there. Maybe go see what's going on. So you go into that hut. Hey, Derek, where are you? Well, Derek's laying dead on the ground. And Derek was your best friend your whole life. Bled, bled out. Didn't even have a chance. So you run outside. And outside you see off in the distance an old man with a wounded woman on his shoulder hobbling up into the mountains. Well, you tell everybody, hey, take all the supplies back to the village. That's the important thing. Uh, but me and, and Tom and, and Bill, we're going to go get revenge for Jim. We're going to take care of this guy. We're going to teach him a lesson. So you and two of your buddies, you go running after this person. Now, you came to this raid prepared for war. You've got three guys, bow and arrows, spears, axes. You're ready. So one of your buddies, he's a pretty good shot. He takes aim. We can end this right now. Be home before dawn. Fires his arrow. It arcs. It looks good. But it doesn't look like it hits our guy. It hits the woman that was on his back. He stops for a moment. But he can't stop long. He drops the woman. And then he keeps going up into the mountains. So you run up after him. You grab your arrow. Because again, arrows are hard to make. And then you keep going. you got to keep your trail on him before the sun sets. And let's get back to our 45-year-old arthritic um, uh, intestinal-driven uh, uh, ship shepherd. You're carrying your injured wife on your shoulder up the hill, up into the mountains, trying to get away from the raiders. And all of a sudden, there's a wh brief whistle in the air, and then you hear a thud, uh, and then that's it your wife stops crying so you pause for a moment you take her off your shoulder and you look and then you see down the hill the raiders that are after you 
This isn't an action movie. You're not taking three on one in your old arthritic body. So you take a brief moment. You say goodbye to your wife. You leave her to the spirits, to the ancestors, to the gods, and then you run for your life. Now you may be a 45-year-old arthritic man, and there may be 20-something uh, warriors in the prime of their life chasing after you, but you've lived in these hills all your life. You have ancestral generational knowledge of this area. And you can use that to your advantage. You're going to have to or you're dead. And so you hide and you set up oh, what's going to be probably your only chance to ambush them. You get them or they get you. And sure enough, because you know the area and they don't, they walk right through your trap. It's the only spot that they can walk that's clear, and you've got a clear shot with your bow and arrow. So you take aim, you draw back, you fire, you let one go, and it thoom, hits one guy right through the chest, and he drops dead right there on the spot. He didn't even know what hit him. And the shot was so fast, and the sun's setting, they didn't know where it came from, so they just run off into the forest, into the woods, uh, into the mountains, into the rocks. They're yelling, looking, screaming at anything, looking at any noise that moves, and that's where they think you might be, but you're in the good spot, and they're run off in the wrong direction. So you run down, and you grab your arrow, because again... Arrows are precious. You don't have many that are made. Uh, you don't have fletching. You don't have tips. All you've got is this one good arrow. It's been your arrow for months. You pull it out of the guy's chest. you got to be a little careful. You can't break it. So you work it out. And as you pull it out, well, one of those guys, one of those raiders, he's come back to go and take a look at his wounded buddy. And he's standing right there. It's 10 feet away. There's no time to think. You, pull, you notch that arrow, you pull your string, and you let it fly, and you hit him in the head, and he drops dead too. Two down, one to go, and he's coming back too. So you run over there, and you grab your arrow again. Pull it out of that dead skull. But our last raider, he's on you. He is beyond insane. What would you feel like if you had to watch three of your best friends die in less than an hour? How insane, how furious would you feel? What if it wasn't just your best friend? What if it was your lover? What if that was your son or your father? How rage-filled would you be? That's the kind of rage that this person has right now. And he attacks our 45-year-old arthritic sheep herder or goat herder with all his might, and it's insane. He's in him with his stone knife, 
hacking and slashing and all our hero has is his bow and a useless arrow right now and he holds his bow up it's his only thing he's got to defend himself with and it's best he can but he takes wounds the knife cuts him cuts his arms cuts his stomach cuts through his leather cuts through his bow cuts through his hand and as you're struggling you do your best you can and you manage to get just the slight better of him and you push him over the cliff now it's not a big cliff you know it's a couple a couple of meters fall uh, but it's enough for you to disappear your bow's toast but you've got your arrow so you run and you're bleeding but you run and as the sun sets your blood trail is a lot harder to find and you know this place better than he does and so the sun is down and he's somewhere looking for you and you're bleeding your one good hand cut to the bone you can't start a fire so you can't see but there's wood around you've been in here long enough to know what a yew tree looks like so you take your trusty axe and you manage to cut a, a branch from the yew that's just good enough to make another bow with you've got a spare um, bowstring piece of sinew in your uh, arrow uh, arrow pouch so as the night falls with what little light you have from the night sky you do your best to work on your bow and as you're working as your hands that are arthritic fail you as the cut that's down to the bone in your thumb um, prevents your one good hand from working you realize even if you get this bow made you don't have the strength to draw it well there's a realization that comes over you at that point 45 year old man ridden with arthritis wounded one good hand gone his only bow gone his entire village gone his wife dead in his arms you come to a little bit of a realization at that point maybe you might be resigned to your fate so you sit down and you pull out your pouch of food supplies the supplies that you had that were supposed to last you and your wife for at least a couple of days as you uh, uh, escaped into the mountains and you have your last meal and in your last meal uh, you have some berries that have been scavenged you have some medicinal herbs some herbs that are there for flavor you have dried deer meat that's been smoked you have bread and it might be the bread that your wife made that morning 
What would that make you feel like? Bleeding from your one good hand. Having to watch your family, your village be murdered. Carrying the person you love on your back as they die. Running for your life. Knowing that you've got a weapon in your hand that can defend yourself with, but your your hand's simply too injured to be able to wield it. And the sun's coming up in a few hours. Well, at that point, you would probably maybe enjoy that meal as best as anybody in that situation could. You don't need to make that last two to three days. You stuff yourself. And as the sun comes up that morning, you look down the hill, down the mountainside, and you see a little fuzzy black blob coming towards you. And then all of a sudden you hear a brief whistle, and an arrow explodes in the rock face next to you. I say explodes, maybe it doesn't explode. I, I don't know, I've never personally seen an arrow shot before. Um, but you can get the idea of an arrow whistling past your head and just shattering against the rock next to you. How much would that scare you? Well, he's found you, hasn't he? This is it. You've got one good hand. And it's your wrong hand. It's your off hand. You've got an unfinished bow. You've got one good arrow. You've got a copper axe and a knife. And you're arthritic. And you're injured. And you're bleeding. And you got a murderous marauder who's just slaughtered your village um, just moments away. Would you stand and fight? Maybe you try to run for your life, lose them in the rocks, lose them in the hills. You did it once before, maybe you can do it again. So you run. And while you're running, you feel a thud in your back shoulder and you drop to the ground. The air leaves your body. You can barely draw breath. Your shoulder turns numb right down from your shoulder all the way to your fingertips. You can't even lift that half-made bow that you've got. And you try to get up, but again, your one arm isn't working. And on your other hand, well, that's been cut down to the bone. So all you can do is really crawl, if that. And as you're crawling your way to some cover, you can hear footsteps coming behind you. And out of the peripheral vision, as you lay there, can't even grip your axe to defend yourself with, you're looking down at the axe that's been in your family for generations. You're looking down at the broken bow that maybe might have saved your life. And you can see from your side of your vision, you can see him reach down and grab a rock in his hands.
and that's the end of the story of our shepherd. And if the story maybe sounds a little extreme, a little far-fetched, maybe not in touch with reality, know that you can look up the story of Otzi, who was a Copper Age goat shepherd who lived in the Italian Alps. And Otzi spent his last few days up in the mountains, went down to his village, and then ran back up into the mountains. And while this was happening, he got an injury on his left hand that cut him down to the bone. He had other cuts and injuries all over his arms and torso. He had the blood of two different men on an arrow, a stone arrowhead, and he had the blood of a third on his knife and the blood of a fourth person on his back furs. And Otzi was found up in the Alps like a frozen mummy in the 1980s. And because he was so well preserved over the years, diagnostic technology and science has improved so much that they've been able to analyze Otzi a little more and more every few years and glean a little bit more information out of him. We know about the equipment he had, we know about the clothes that he wore, we know about the animals that made up the furs that he wore, uh, we know about the blood that was on his tools and weapons. We even know what he ate for his last two meals. And we know he had injuries that on his arms and his hands that didn't even have time to heal before he died. And we know how he died. We know he was shot with an arrow in the back through his shoulder blade. And we know he had blunt force trauma to his head. Now there's probably a thousand different ways that story could have been told. But you can kind of imagine the scenario where that would have happened. You can imagine the life of a prehistoric goat herder. You can imagine what might have caused his uh, village to be raided. And maybe his village wasn't raided. Maybe, maybe it was a jealous lover spat that caused his wounds uh, and his writings. So well, that's a good story too, isn't it? You know, the, the love triangle that ends in murder. It's happened uh, lots of times in our age. Why wouldn't it have happened thousands of years ago? People are people. And so this is the story of a man 3,000 years before the Common Era. And we know a lot about him. We know about his tattoos. 
We know about what he ate, the clothes that he made, where he lived. We know about the food that he ate. Uh, we even know that uh, he uh, was lactose intolerant. We know he had intestinal worms, and we know he had arthritis, and we know he had tattoos uh, around where all his swollen arthritic joints were and all over his stomach, where the stomach pain from having intestinal worms would have been bothering him. So that's pretty cool when you think about what we can find from somebody who's basically 5,000 years removed from us. And we're going to try and piece together what that looked like for somebody who might have lived in Anatolia around that same amount of time. Because this is the time that we have for the God Emperor of Mankind of Warhammer 40,000 universe, fictional universe. From his own mouth, we know he's been around this time. We have his own memories on paper that describe his life, his early life anyways, uh, in Anatolia during 3000 before Common Era. And so I thought I would start this by telling the story of Otzi, who even though he lived in the Italian Alps, lived in... 3,000 years before a common era. And, and another nifty little thing to know is the genetic analysis of Otzi tells us that his ancestors came from Anatolia. Farmers from Anatolia. The goats from Anatolia. The medical technology Maybe that was from Anatolia too. Uh, and that's kind of neat because um, we find on the remnants of bodies uh, right up into the uh, early, late Bronze Ages and later than that, tattoos of similar design as Otzi. And you have to wonder, is that medical science back then was that the uh, uh, you know latest greatest uh, technology available that we had in that age to treat pain so as we go through this podcast we're going to talk about uh, not only what was happening in the world to provide context for that time, uh, but also to talk about what the life was like of somebody who lived in that time, from what we know. And, and I'm going to be honest, I'm a fan of history and fiction. I'm not a student of fix, uh, fiction or history. I don't have any education degrees in those fields. Uh, I studied it a lot at university, but I am not, uh, I held no PhDs. I hold no masters. I'm not a doctor in, in any of this sort of stuff, uh, but I am somebody who's a fan of all this stuff. And I thought uh, it would be cool uh, for other people who have interest in those things to maybe uh, have somebody describe some of this to them and maybe you can say, hey, geez, uh, that's kind of cool. I never thought of it that way. That's what this is about. So uh, if you uh, want to hear more of this kind of thing, 
keep on this podcast journey with me as we go through this and we're going to dig a little deeper into uh, what the world of the Copper Age looked like. What did it look like in Anatolia? What did it look like in the rest of the world? What was happening? What did people live like? And we'll compare that versus what was written on on the paper on our little piece of fiction uh, to the world world of the Warhammer 40,000 universe, and we'll see if we can draw some interesting and uh, uh, pieces of tidbits of information. Um, something that you could say, "Geez, that's kind of cool. Uh, wouldn't that be neat?" That's what this is about. I, I hope you want to join me with this. Um, stay on this journey as we go through it together and we'll keep going and, and if you can join me for our next podcast and we'll go uh, deeper into what life was actually life in copper age anatolia what was the world like what were the people like and we'll compare that to what was written on paper thank you very much